0: Actually rest, you know, unplug from some things that maybe you've uh, been too plugged into, which could be obligations. It could be your phone. You know, we could just put these things away, like just kind of find ways to rest and also reconnect. And that reconnect is to reconnect with God, your family and loved ones and yourself. And so when, if you hear when I say rest, you're like, oh, good. You mean don't go to church? That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, literally, like rest from the busyness so that you have an opportunity to reconnect with God in every way, your family, your loved ones in every way, and then yourself ultimately. Well, not ultimately, but eventually. You get whatever. That's an important thing, and I want us to, you know, take hold of that because we can be deceived. It's a sneaky deception because you can think um, you're just being responsible or you're just being diligent or taking care of things, you know, and really what it is, is you're building a whole worldview and life and spiritual life and everything built on yourself and what you can accomplish. And that is literally the opposite of what uh, God is calling us to. He's calling us to uh, trust and faith in Him and a life. Um, the type of sacrificial life that God is calling us to isn't based on ourselves, okay? It's fundamentally based on Him, and then it flows from that. So this is a good way for us to find those things. And the reconnecting. Um, I did mention, and I'll mention this again, uh, we do those form and fire books each month. And this month is The Hiding Place by Corrie Ten Boom, which is an exciting story. Some of the books that we do are a little more, um, they're usually about spiritual formation or the fire of the Holy Spirit, or testimonies. And the testimony ones, which is one of this, tend to be a little more narratively exciting because it's a story and less of just kind of spiritual concepts. Yay, let's talk about it. Which though it's important too to do that, you know, that's kind of what the book of Ephesians is. But this is actually a narrative. And what it really is good at doing is um, helping us as readers connect all of this God talk we do every every day or every uh, week at church, we sing, all these things, and it's like, well, how do we get that to, like, really where the rubber meets the road? This is a really good version of that happening, because Corey Tinboom and her sister and her family in this book are just normal people, just like us. They're not like, you know, Christian all-stars who are living out some... They're just living their Christian, normal Christian lives, and then things transpire around them, and God has them do just living out a Christian faith, and it's just very much putting into practice what we preach, and so I'll reference this again as we talk, but I want to encourage you, as part of your uh, rest, pick up this book and read it. Read it as a family. It's a good story, and it's actually well written, you know, which is good, (laughs) which makes reading more of a pleasure. Let me pray really quick. Father, we just pray that you would fill this place with your presence and that you would open our ears to hear from you um, what it is you would have to say to us in this time. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill this atmosphere, Lord, and fill the atmosphere of our minds, and help us to declutter. And I pray against the distracting voice of the enemy in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. This is our concluding week of the book of Ephesians, and uh Next week, Pastor Jeff is going to share with us a message that he feels like God has put on his heart, and then we're going to jump into the story of Elijah and Elisha for the summer, so it's going to be kind of exciting. But we're ending our uh, springtime slash beginning of summer with this last book of Ephesians, and this letter has been pretty heavy-hitting, and every single one of these chapters has contained kind of two chunks. So they kind of could have been two separate messages, but we've kind of powered through <laughs> for the sake of time. And this one, if you remember from last week, if you weren't here last week, you might, I'm going to recap some stuff because I have to, because we kind of jump in halfway through a, a thing. So I'll recap that a little bit. I'm going to skip stuff because, you know, so you might, if you go, I don't know what he meant by that, go back and listen to it because it, it does make sense. But like I said, each, the, the first half of Ephesians was all about doctrine all about the gospel. And the second half has been all about living it out. And now we're at the end of the living it out instructions. And these are kind of like instructions, as opposed to like a narrative we were just talking about. These are just Paul saying, do this, do that, don't do this, do that kind of thing. And we found in the second half of the last week's chapter, he starts going into this thing, which is a list of household codes, where he's giving instructions of kind of how to live out as a Christian person in the society they found themselves in. And like we said last, last week, he was addressing the way he was speaking through them. And we had the, the first two last week, and we had the second two this week, and there's a chapter mark like right in the middle, you know, so there's this kind of odd break. And so this whole section has to be heard from the introduction that he gives at the end of the last week into this week, and then there's a kind of a, a bookend at the end. And that book in, that the, the, the packaging for all four of these categories is that we, as Christian people, submit to one another out of love for Christ, out of reverence for Christ, it says. And then he goes into instructions about, like, different categories that they would find in their life. Some of these we still have and understand, and others we don't. And even some of them kind of live out a little bit differently in our society. I think, I said this last week, that if Paul was writing to us right now in 2023 in America, he probably would have a slightly different list. And we'll, you'll see one of the categories will pop up immediately. You would go, that doesn't seem to apply as much to us. But he would probably talk, like last week we talked about husbands and wives and how they relate to each other. Um, this week we're going to talk about um, parents and children and then slaves and masters. Which, again, to us, you might be like, well, yeah, what are we talking about? So we'll get to that. And you have to understand the whole framework is under this idea that Christian people submit to each other. And he starts giving instruction as to how. And uh, the the wives and the husbands. He starts to saying like, wives respect your husbands, husbands love your wives. He gives the husbands a lot more instruction on what love looks like. And uh, but the overarching theme of this list is Paul encouraging everybody to embrace where they find themselves. And I, I I was showed I went through like there's a lot of parallel lists like this in Colossians and Galatians and then. Even Second Peter has one, but then the first, first Corinthians has a long one, a really long one, and he's explaining a whole lot of different stuff about marriage and different, you know. But he gives us some, uh, some pieces of context there where he basically says, this is what I'm telling everybody, is don't try to change your situation. Embrace where you are, trusting God. Like, know all this stuff about God, how much God loves you, how much God has changed who you are, all these things. And then with that, you can embrace any situation, even situations that aren't that great. And I shared some of Corey Timboom's story with that about how um, it doesn't justify anybody doing anything wrong, but it shows how we as Christian people can even embrace situations that aren't fair or right towards us because of what Jesus has done. And has allowed us how we kind of start to take spiritual ground, okay? And I'll share this a little bit again, but let's go straight into this because, like I said, we cut right in the middle. He gave husbands and wives instructions about how they um, submit to each other out of reverence, for Christ, and he kind of sums up the wife's version of it with respect your husband and the husbands to love as Christ loved the church. He tells the wives to submit to their husbands, like like the church submits to Christ, and the the husbands are to, to you know give their lives up for their wives. And so then he moves into Ephesians six one, talking to children and parents. So I'm just going to read it, and then we'll talk a little. So children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And so th- that that just that first statement there, <laughs> for this is right. He's kind of just making like, like a, it's like a well everybody knows that you know like there's no culture that's ever taught anything other than that. It's like you, you, parents you have an obligation to to raise your kids up and kids you have an obligation to listen. So like this is just right. But then he appeals to remember when we went through Exodus the Ten Commandments. He says, and he says this honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. And that's in Exodus 20. Where in the Ten Commandments list. And it's an interesting thing uh, that Paul here, in kind of proper context of what he's been doing throughout the whole rest of the book of Ephesians, he actually makes a slight, slight edit. Um, he, he says, So it may go well with you, and, the, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Exodus 20:12 12 says, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord is, God is giving you, which is implying to the Jewish people the Holy Land, that they're headed towards, the Promised Land. And Paul is kind of expanding that out because he's been talking about the engrafting of Gentile people. So he's saying to the whole world, you know, which is a pretty cool little thing he kind of sneaks in there. We do not sneak it in there. They would have, they would have noticed, you know. <laughs> and then he gives instruction to fathers. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And he's saying, don't be overbearing and... and and he, let the children grow up, you know. It, it, but give them instruction in the Lord. Like this is actually a uh, um, he's speaking to fathers here, but he's meaning parents. I think you know, again, this is one of those things where there's some cultural difference. Like he would probably write to us parents, you know. To then he wrote fathers, you know. Um, but raising up your children and training and instruction of the Lord is is an important uh, instruction that Paul is giving straight, you know, from the Lord. And I think that one's pretty easy to understand. Children, obey your parents. And uh, it does, there is, you might, like, this isn't a Bible study, Bible study, so I'm not going to, like, go into everything. But when you say, like, obey your parents, you might be like, does that mean, like, I'm 65 and my mom's 80 and she's mean? Like what? Like, do you mean, is that a children thing? And to some extent, probably, but to another extent, probably not. You know, I mean, you have to kind of take these things into our, Um, our context. In Paul's context, he would have known, and they would have all known, that the, like I said last week, even in the marriage relationship, and he's like, some of this stuff doesn't sound like what we talk about now when it regards to marriage. It was because the husband had all this legal authority that was only, he was the representative of the whole family legally, and so there was just a difference of role that was played, and you had an obligation, like, you were held to a higher standard, you know, and so as a man, and and you were responsible for everybody else, more so than we are today in a legal sense. And so in one sense, back then as well, the, 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 the father figure of the family had complete or mostly complete legal authority over the whole family till he died. And Paul would have known that. And so he wouldn't have been saying, he would have addressed that differently if he wanted to. I do think he's mostly talking about children, like young children, but I do think there's a sense that we should all want to honor our fathers and mothers for our whole lives. And even past, I would even say, to live this out fully, even their memory, honoring their memory. And that's a hard thing to do. But I think we all understand this one. Even Paul's like, this is just, like, for this is right. Like, I'm not surprising you with this instruction here. But this next one's going to take a little bit of work to get through because it's going to sound very odd to our ears. And It should. So I'm going to go this. This is verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not to people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you or each one for whatever they do. Whether they are a slave or free, and masters treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, I'm going to dive into this a good bit. Uh, I'm just looking up my notes, but I just want to just really clear up for, if you're like, is this an in, like is this him saying slavery is good? Like, would I when I'm thinking of slavery, is he saying that's good? No, he's not. Okay, so let me just. So now, now that we can establish that, let's listen what is he saying here. Um, first off, you have to understand what Paul's addressing versus what we think of. We are Americans, and when we hear the word slavery, it means one thing, and it's what slavery that existed in the history of our United States, which bear, there's aspects of that that are connected to this thing Paul's talking about, and there's aspects that aren't. So we're going to have to set our, our, in, our, our definition a little bit aside, or at least I'm going to expand it so that you'll understand what Paul is addressing here, okay? Back in Paul's day, in the greater Roman society, there was a lot of type, types of what might be translated slavery, but it was broader than that. So broad, in fact, that it would include a lot of things that we would just call employment now, meaning like, I work for Byron, Byron pays me for that. That would have been included in this word that Paul is using here. That's why some Bibles have translated it servanthood, because it maybe gets it a little better uh, to our ear, because we don't understand, because like I said, when we hear slavery, we hear one thing and one thing only. Paul is addressing a much broader thing, to the point that I was reading some of the statistics and, that these people were talking about, of how much, how many slaves there were in society, or what would fit in this word he's using here, okay? And it included everybody from doctors to even some, I found one reference they were talking about that, even some uh, political offices that you could get elected to, you had to be a slave to fill, so some people would enter into slavery for a period to serve in an, an office and then exit it to go back into uh, their normal life. And also, you could contract yourself for a service. And we do this kind of thing now, like you'll hire somebody to do a job on your house. That contract was they owe you something, and you, you know, that would have fit inside this as well. So it's So much so that some people even just translate this, and it's not a bad application of this. He's giving instructions of people who are working for somebody else how to do that. You know, like, don't if your boss is a jerk, still be a good employee. You know what I mean? And if you're a boss, don't be a jerk. That's kind of what he says right there. You know, and that's not a bad application of this, that it would be within the realm of what Paul's talking about. But you can't wiggle it that much to where you totally get away from, because what I was talking about is most of the slavery, even that I was reading that Paul was talking about, would have fit more in that employment or servanthood thing. Even to the point that they said some sl- things that would have fit in this word this slavery. People would do this as a it was almost like an internship of sorts when I was they were describing it like you would go work for a famous big person, do a lot of stuff, make a lot of contacts and then when your slavery time, term ended, you had a lot of contacts and then you would start building your business. So some people did it intentionally like I'm poor, I need to move up in society, I'll go be a slave You know, to James over here, James teaches me all the things he knows and all the people he knows. And then I exit it, and then now I got a business doing the same thing, and then I become like rich. So again, it's not the same thing as we think of in our history. But there was still some of that that fit under this. I'm really, you can't wiggle it totally to where like, okay, good. Let's just move on. He was talking about employment, just like parents and kids, we're good. It did include that, and Paul didn't specifically say, he could have said something like this. Well, slaveholders, why don't you just free all your slaves, you know? The reason he didn't say something like that is because of this broader definition, but uh, because some of it wasn't even what we would call bad. It would just be something like employment. Like, don't even hire people anymore. You'd be like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make sense, you know? But you say, like, well, how can he not, like, what about somebody who is in that bad situation? You're like, I understand what you said last week, Pastor Brian. You were talking about wives and husbands, and that sounded like that, you know, I get it. So, like, sure, wives submit to your husbands, and, like, who doesn't want to submit to a husband who, like, is willing to give their life for them like Jesus did? Like, that'd be great. My husband isn't like that, so what am I supposed to do, you know? Or the husband is like, yeah, okay, fine, do everything, give everything I have for my wife, and give up everything, but, like, my wife is not, she's, like, she doesn't respect me at all. So, what am I supposed to do with that, okay? That's where our mind immediately goes, and I get it, because, like, in this kind of situation, or like with the parents, it's like, yeah, I want to honor. Like who doesn't want to honor great parents? Like, my parents are awesome. I honor them. They love me. This is a great thing. What about when they don't? What about when they're abusive? What about when they're horrible? You know, or sure, okay, I get it. Most of the slavery that he was encountering was employment-like situation. But what about the ones that weren't? What about them? And this is where the deeper meaning starts to come out. And it's, it's, it's tough but you can see it when you look at the parallels, which I mean by parallels is, like I said, there's other lists like this in other books of the Bible. And we have to give Paul some credit for having continuity of thought. Like in some of these places, he, li- he literally says, like a mere couple lines above, in Christ Jesus is neither male nor female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And then down here he's like, slave, submit to your, and you're like, Did he have a stroke in between these two? Like, what is he, you know, the answer is no. He's saying the same thing both places, but you have to hear it. And what he's saying is this, and I go back to this 1 Corinthians 7 because he kind of starts, he gives you a little more of the narration as he's going along. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. What do you think that might include? Just as God has called them. This is a rule I lay down in all the churches, including the one in Ephesus. And then he keeps going on. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keep God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation where they were when the Lord called them. Verse 21, listen to this. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you based on all the things I've said to you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. And so, I shared a quote from this book when Corey Ten Boom was... Because what they were doing is living their normal Christian life, just like us. I mean, her dad, I mean, he's a very Christian man, but he has a watch shop and a clock shop. He wasn't like, you know, a missionary. You know, we, we tend to always like... We think by honoring Christian heroes, somehow that's like being reverent towards God. And this weird, twisted thing happens where it's like, they're different than me they're special on God's little special group, and I'm just a normal person. So, like, I can't, I can't do that. It's one reason I like books like this, because, like, she's on that normal person list, okay? And then the Nazis start taking over Europe, and they're not, and it's, it's interesting to read, because, you know, we know what happened, but they didn't, and so people are like, ah, it'll be fine. People will stop them, and they're like, I doesn't sound like they're being stopped you know and then they kept taking over more and more and then they started hiding the jewish people that were trying to get away from germany they would try to get them away and all these sorts of things and then they get arrested for it and she gets uh really her faith meeting the ground of do i believe (laughs) what i've been saying i believe she finds out the answer is yes she encourages all and she's found out there's no pit this is a quote i share there's no pit so deep that god's love is not deeper still So he's like, what is Paul saying to a slave that isn't in a good situation? He's saying something that sounds like this. Because he's not talking to, he's not talking about slavery. Like, Paul, what do you think about slavery? He would have written different things. What he was talking about is, I'm talking to slaves or servants. I'm talking to, and if you're not a slave, he's not exactly talking to you, right? Right? Just like I said last week, if you're not a husband, like not all men are husbands. If, and he was talking to husbands, and not all women are wives. He's talking to wives. Typically, we like to find verses like this, and if I'm a husband, well, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> what Paul is saying here is kind of what Corey Timboom says in this quote There's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Psalm 139 says this, and you heard this if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my de- bed in the depths, depths there is hell. Remember we just saying you descended to hell? What was raised up to reign at your father's side? If I remember making my bed in hell, you are there. And Corey Tinboom, I shared, I read this last week, I'll just paraphrase. They got put in the Ravensbrook. Uh, concentration camp and she was finally again with her sister which was like such an answer to prayer and they got put into new barracks and there was fleas everywhere and she was like oh my gosh this is terrible and her sister's like well god's already given us the answer of what we need to do and it was in first thessalonians and she finds it and he's like oh yeah praise him in all circumstances that's what he means all circumstances that's why like when paul says here nevertheless each person should believe should live as a believer in whatever situation the lord has assigned them it's kind of like a pray, give thanks in all circumstances. And You're like, I can't really, can't really mean all. Like all all or like some all? Most all? All with a little asterisk? That's what I would like it to mean. I don't think that's what it means. You know, the Bible translation is like it tends to mean, some of these words are pretty easy. All usually means all. That's an easy one. You can hold on to that. The, uh, and her sister's like, we should thank God for everything. And she's like, like what? And she's like, well, like that we're here together. And she's like, oh, yeah, you're right. And she's like, and like, we have a Bible here, even in this constant. She's like, gosh, yeah, we could. And then she, she's like, and we should thank God that we're in this barracks where it's so tight and cramped that people will hear about God. And she was like, and Corey Timbo was like, okay, I'll pray. You know, thank you God for these cramped and terrible places where you know. And and then her sister's like, yeah, and God, thank you for the fleas. And, and that's what Corey Timbo was like, okay, no. No, that's that's not. And I I want to read that part because this is funny. But then her sister said, Give thanks in all circumstances. She quoted, It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. So we stood between the piers of bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. But this time, I was sure Betsy was wrong. <laughs> That's why I like this book, because she's honest. She comes to find out her sister wasn't wrong, that because of the fleas, the guards wouldn't go into the building. And because of that, they had prayer services every night. And because of that, A lot of people came to know Jesus for the first time because of the fleas. And we tend to just pray. I tend to, I mean, I don't put it on all you guys. Maybe y'all are holy. I tend to just pray, God, please take all these fleas out of my life. Please. I'll list off a lot of fleas I don't want in my life. And then Corey Tindboom sisters over here, we should praise God for the fleas. And I'm like, no, like, (laughs) I'm pretty sure you're wrong, you know. So it's good to have a testimony to realize, no, it's not wrong. Because what's, it's not, it's good to be honest with God. So I don't want, there's a, there's another, like, there's kind of like the way of the Lord. And then there's a ditch over here, which is to only complain all the time about all the fleas, right? And then there's another ditch on the other side where it's like this weird denial where like, I won't admit when my life is hard because that would be showing that I don't have faith in God. So I'll pretend like everything's fine all the time. And that's not what Corey Ten Boom's sister's sister is doing. She's actually, she had, she had gotten through to see things the way Jesus saw, where it's like, oh, God knows what he's doing. So I think that's the, the trick. If you're like, what's the difference between those two types of prayer? If, if at all what you're doing is kind of telling God, you don't know what you're doing, obviously. That's not the same as when David is like, my soul is down. Like, like there's, the, there's, there's a place for honest crying out to God, which is a, Central, I mean, it's a normal part of Christian life. It's essential. I don't know if it's central, but it's essential, you know? So denial isn't that. But at the same time, if, if, if mixed into that is some version of, you don't know what you're doing, God, because look what my life is. This is what Paul's calling us away from. And really, it's a true freedom. The true freedom that you can be in Ravensbrook concentration camp and free in the Lord and then able to embrace the situation that God has put you in, even if it's not right or good. And that's how we start taking ground for the kingdom. I will say this, though, just because I want to make sure that you have this in your mind. I said last week, and I just mentioned a second ago, that when the best way to read this is Instructions. Instructions to you when you fit in that category. Like, are you a, a child of someone? So he's talking to you. Are you a husband? Some are, some aren't. If he's not, he's not talking to you. It doesn't mean you can't learn anything from it. But he's like giving instructions to groups of people. And if you're not in those groups of people, you can, it can get weird. It can get very weird if I'm not in a list and I try to apply that list to other people. And that's exactly what happened in the United States... During the time of slavery, people found, the the Bible, like, we've had it for a while. And people have studied it for a while. And people wrote books about it at the time. And there were preacher people, Christian preachers, who would take this scripture and say, this is God telling us what we're doing is okay. And they, they tried to back it up with, you know, Bible work. And it's kind of the same as if you're a husband and you want to read what we had last week to your wife. Like, here's your list. Why aren't you living up to it? Then you, if you want to do that, go right ahead. But then you're going to have to be kind of okay with these slave, slave owners doing that to their slaves. Okay? I'm just trying to be consistent. They did that. And it's because, this is what's interesting, Hidden in Paul's statements here is a complete unraveling of anything that looks like the slavery that we found in the United States. Which was, like I said, in in Paul's day, a lot of times you could enter into slavery. You could exit it. It was more like employment. You might even do it intentionally for the betterment of your family, all this kind of stuff. Versus in the United States, we had what was called chattel slavery, where you owned somebody categorically forever. And you owned their descendants forever. It was literally viewed as property. And the church struggled with this. Because, I mean, you can study it. <laughs> you had Christian people that were like, I feel like this is wrong based on the Bible. And other people were like, "Yeah, hey, we got stuff. We're good, you know. And they're going, yeah, but. And so you start to see these weird, like, well, I guess these people aren't human then. Because that will, okay, if they're not human, it's okay. And that's where you have to go these, these kind of weird places to do this kind of stuff and be okay with it. And we all know, thank God, how wrong that is. The thing we should be careful about is if we do the same thing. Because you can sit there and think you're doing something right, but really what you've done is you've justified something, and you just use the Bible to do that. Churches split over this kind of stuff. Have you ever heard of the Southern Baptist Church? You should look up why the word southern is there. I'm serious. So I don't want to pick on them as much, as wrong as it all was, I want us to be have our eyes open to this kind of thing in our own lives because that's really the context of this kind of talk. He's not like, he's like what are you doing this way? And hidden in this whole thing, Paul has snuck in. Know, again, he's not sneaking in. I don't know why I keep saying that. Paul has put in values that make using this, scripture, these, this whole chunk of Scripture wrongly, which is a lot of times where you hear it being used is wrongly, applied to other people and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and used to justify abuse or something like that. People will take this marriage stuff and use it to justify an abusive husband. That is completely wrong. Or they'll take this uh, stuff about parenthood and use it to justify abusive parents. That's completely wrong. And at the end, like at the beginning, the whole thing is framed around submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So if any application doesn't do that, it's wrong. And then at the end, Paul has this other thing here that unravels any misuse of this. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of each one for whatever good they do, whether they are a slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. I always wondered. <laughs> again, to jump back, those those preachers that would have the audacity to preach this to their slaves, like this, like did they read that part? I would, all, you know, be like, keep reading one more, you know, or two more, you know, verses. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know. That he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So, Jesus is inviting all of us to trust him in all the circumstances of our lives because we know there's no favoritism with him. There's tons of favoritism with every part of the world. The world runs on favoritism of every kind economic, racial, whatever. You know, that's just how we are as people. We mistreat each other, you know. Jesus is the only one who doesn't. And he's like, if we can get in onto that, we can live into this world. And that's what makes this next chunk make sense. Um, where Paul goes into the armor of God. I'm going to read this whole thing. Uh, and then we'll just discuss the elements. But you have to see, he's set all this up. So he's given some very practical instruction about... Different types of uh, different parts of life that they would all be very familiar with. Um, And he might have a different list for us now, I think, but um, either way, we can get the principle behind it. He's saying, embrace where you are. Don't just always think about being somewhere else or imagine something, fantasize about getting away, or all the time. Embrace where you are and look at it head on because. Then he goes this Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, for your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with, with, this, with this in mind. Be alert, be alert. And always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, the words may be given to me, or may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Because remember, he's in prison. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. What he wants wants to lead that whole thing up to is that we're in a spiritual battle. That's the reality we live in. It's not the reality we always think we're living in, but it's the reality that we're living in. And he wants to remind everybody that. I think they probably had just as hard a time with it as we do now. Because dishes at your house doesn't feel like a spiritual battle. I don't know how many dishes you have. It it could feel like a spiritual battle. (laughs) You get what I'm saying. We can get lost in the mundaneness of life, and it doesn't feel like we're in a spiritual battle. And I don't think we can even approach to appreciate how mundane people's lives were back then. You know what I mean? Like, you can study how society has changed since, like, the Industrial Revolution. And what we live in would be, like, a fantasy world that these people, you know. And, but still, we can get stuck in the mundaneness of things and forget we're in a spiritual battle. And you need to remember this. But the Ephesians actually had some experience with this. You might remember a couple years ago we went through the book of Acts. When Paul was in Ephesus, this literally happened. I'll read this. It's in Acts 19. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Like, miracle miracles, healing people and stuff. You would notice. Not just, I feel better about my life, but like, whoa, something's going on, okay? To the point that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. That's noteworthy. I'm just going to throw that out. Some Jews, and here's the proof of it, like in the sense of, how did that affect the community? People are like, huh, great, we could do this. Verse 13, some Jews went around driving out evil spirits and tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Small lesson from that is don't try to stand on other people's spiritual authority. Like your mom's faith ain't gonna, it don't work. This is a, you know, When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. So like other people had done it. They're like, hey, if this works, it works. You know? (laughs) A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, which equals a lot. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So this is God demonstrating his power over the spiritual and these people like when Paul's writing this late this letter later remember that this happened. So this is these were people that were more in tune with the spirit than our culture tends to be these days. And so because this is the thing, Paul wants us to remember that we are in a spiritual battle but the world is raging against us against us like I said Eugene Peterson in this commentary I've referenced is practicing re- resurrection. They are literally warring against us doing that. But it won't feel like evil spirits doing it. It'll feel like other people doing it. That's why Paul actually wants to remind us it's not against flesh and blood. And I put three typical responses that I think we, we have. Um, when we feel challenged by this world that we're in, the evil of the world, you know, in all forms, every form you could possibly think of. We have, like, several different ways we tend to respond. I try to come up with D words to make them a little bit more memorable. Uh, One is I think we demonize people. We like to demonize the people that are, like, we feel like they're our enemy, so we demonize them. Like, think of this person that I don't like that stands for this thing that I don't like, and I'll imagine how utterly evil they are so that I can be okay with hating them. And then we can pile on on Facebook. I'm saying this is bad. I'm not saying this is good. This is just what people do. So um, we tend to demonize people. Or uh, Eugene Peterson called this negative spirituality, where we define ourselves by what we're against, which is we're good at this these days because you can like and reshare. So take that and live it. The next thing I think we do is a lot of us retreat or defend is what I put defend where we like circle the wagons and i'm going to protect what's mine i know y'all are all nuts out here but we're going to like pull away and i'm just gonna not engage i'm just gonna get away i'll be okay but you guys are y'all are gone sorry you know but i'm good so have fun we tend to do this in our mind like not only like act on it but some of what keeps the prepper thing alive is this this kind of like i have to have my you know and it's very golem like (laughs) precious but the uh, um (laughs) <laughs> the third, the third thing I think a lot of us end up doing is we. I put meh here as a verb, like we meh. I don't, I don't do any of that. Like, look, y'all can, y'all can fight about. I, I don't. You know, I don't have a problem with people. I don't have a problem with anything. So, but it ends up becoming just a lukewarm position, and that's not what Paul wants any of us to do at all. This meh thing, which can seem like, see you guys are demonizing everybody, and you guys are crazy and trying to run off and like build your little compound. I'm just kind of here, but I can be kind of friends with everybody, and it's great. You can end up being nothing, right? And that's not what Paul's saying. He wants us to have a Christian approach to this, and he's like, what is that? Um, First off, he's saying it's not against flesh and blood that we're dealing with, though it will always look like that. They're going to be the actors. Like, we're the body of Christ. The actor's of the enemy right now are like other people as well, but they're not the ones doing it. There's weird, and he uses strange language to describe this: the principalities and powers, the spiritual forces, you know. And you go like, is he just talking about like the government? Or it's like, no, he's talking about like evil stuff, you know. And we don't have to get too technical, you know, but actual evil that's in the world, and it's and it's motivating people sometimes to do things, you know. And the good thing about it is we don't have to get we don't have to get too technical about it because it doesn't really matter you know, the Christian response is to realize it's not you guys doing it. You know, like when I'm out in the world and I see people doing things that I think are nuts or bad or harmful, I, I don't have to go, uh, I don't, I, have, I, have to, I can see, just like Corey Ten Boom's sister could see, they were in the concentration camp and she's saying, we need to pray for these people. And Corrie Ten Boom's like, yeah, these people in the concentration camp, it's terrible. And what she realized her sister meant was, she was actually talking about the guards. And she was like, no, I'm kind of, like they get what, you know, it's very nice to be like, you're going to stand before God and whatever. You know what I mean? And that's where she was. And I would have been there. You know, like I told last week, there was a part where she has a shovel to kill a guy. And I'm like, yeah, I probably would have done that too. The, uh, there's this thing where you can, her sister realized the de- demonic forces had taken over these people and they were doing evil things. And she said, if they can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. And she realized that was the deeper need. Not that God didn't care about what was going on. He absolutely did. But that was obvious. It's always obvious. God does care about oppression and all this kind of thing. But he also cares about the oppressors, which that's challenging and hard. We like cancel culture. We just got to cancel the, which side are you on and cancel the other side. You know, we like that stuff. That's not what God's doing. God's like, so he's like, what is it? It's not about flesh and blood. The Christian response is to stand. I don't know if you noticed that when he goes through this thing. It's like stand and then stand. And then after you stand, stand. And you're like, how many times am I standing? He's like, that's what we're to do to stand. And then he gives you, this is an actual spiritual battle. Well, this standing, it's like salt of the earth, which is the visible sign of the new covenant. It's like the light of the world, which Jesus talks about, which is shining into the darkness. And his sheep among wolves is the other thing. We go out as sheep among wolves. Wolves. You see the imbalance there. Sheep among wolves. And he's saying, don't become a wolf. And it's hard not to And it's not really a job description. It's just who we are supposed to be. But it's a serious spiritual battle, and we'll need weaponry. And that's where he goes through this, the belt of truth, which he's talking about like when they would say, all right, let's get your belt ready. Like, let's let's get ready, you know. The breastplate of righteousness, which is kind of a reference in like Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you actually believe that about yourself? You're going to need it in this battle. If you want to stand, if you actually want to make a difference in the world at all, in your life, your family's life, anybody's life, and you're going to stand, you're going to need to know that there's no there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the boots or the shoes. I should have had a a photo. He's he's kind of going through like Roman uh yeah, battle yeah, battle dress or whatever. So and uh, and again, if 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 this was now, he would have done different things. I should have the spiritually packing. I remember you had the song. James had a song, Tech Nines and the Spirit and all. And so, like there would have been modern weaponry as the imagery, all right? But the, uh, the boots or the shoes, the readiness of the gospel of peace, which gives us sure footing and good grip to stand against, you know, and then the shield of faith that protects against the, the devil's arrows, the lies. And then when it says, the Bible says, when the devil speaks lies, he speaks his native language. So you need to shield yourself from that, not just expose yourself to that. You need to shield yourself from that, and God is equipping you spiritually to do that. And the helmet of salvation, or the hope of salvation, is how we hold our head up with confidence as we do all of this. This is another thing, and again, like Paul, he, he writes similar things. In Thessalonians eight. he says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Like we could say, I can engage, or like like Corey Ten Boom's sister challenges us to do is to even love the unlovable people, because I know, ultimately, I'm saved with Jesus. That that you know what He's done for me and what will happen. That ultimately I'll be delivered. So we can suffer through things. I shared this quote last week, where. NT Wright says, The call of the gospel is for the church to implement the victory of God in the world through suffering love. And this whole thing needs to be understood in that kind of framework. And then finally, we get to the weapon, <laughs> the sword of the Spirit. And then immediately defines it, which is the word of God, just so you don't get too excited about it. You know, because we can be very Peter like about this. And they come to arrest Jesus. They came to him, We're here to get Jesus. And he's like, I'm he. And they're thrown on the ground. You know, like the guys coming to arrest him, which is a lot of guys, arresting Jesus in the garden. And they're like, Jesus, he's like, I'm he. I'm not hiding from you. When he just says, I am, remember I am from the garden? Or, or not from the garden, from the, from the book of Exodus when Moses is standing there. He's like, who are you? And he's like, I am who I am. And Jesus says, I am him. They're thrown on the ground. That's like, this, this is who we're dealing with here. This is God, you know. They come to arrest Jesus he says, I'm not hiding. I'm him. They're thrown on the ground. And then they come to arrest. him. He's like, yeah, I'll go with you. And Peter's like, the heck, that's going to happen. And he like starts to attack everybody with his sword, and he cuts a guy's ear off. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't what we're, this is not what we're here to do. So when we start to be like Peter, we're like, whoa, hold on. I got the sword. I'm going to, you know, and start slashing up people. And all you do is you hurt other people, and Jesus has to heal them, and he rebukes you. I think that's probably why Paul's like, and we got the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, just so you know, you know. Which does reference again other places, Hebrews 4.12, he said, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Justin and Joanna, why don't you guys come on up here? And that's, our, that's what you see where Pete, when the truth the belt of truth, when Jesus was interacting with Pontius Pilate after he gets arrested, and Pilate, who's like the Roman governor, he's like, "What am I supposed to? Do? What am I going to do with you?" And he's like, I, I, "All I've said." Jesus is like, "All I've said is the truth." I mean, he's like, and Pilate's like, "What is? I mean, what kind of what does that word even mean? Your truth, my truth." I mean, I don't. And Jesus is like, "I'm the truth," and he kind of blows Pilate's mind to the point that Pilate's like, "I don't know who I'm dealing with." Like, he's like, "Are you a son of God?" Like, I, I have to, you know. It says after that that he does everything he can to get him released. But Jesus just responds with the truth of who he is from the scriptures. And we have this this word of God that actually accomplishes these things. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's more powerful than an actual sword, like a blade sword or a gun or something that you could hurt people with. The Word of God is more powerful than that. And I don't just mean metaphorically. I mean literally. In that, Corey Ten and her sister find themselves in an impossible situation, and they're only able to overcome it because of the Word of God that he's, and His faithfulness to that. But the way they overcome it doesn't always look like the way we might define overcoming. But it probably, and by my estimation, does look the way God defines it. And at the end, you find this, this is the very end of this letter. My thing says the title, Final Greetings. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you may also know that I, how I am and what I'm doing. That's the guy who's like going to bring them the letter. For I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Peace, brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And these kinds of pieces of these letters, you can just throw away sometimes. Like, well, that's not, I mean, armor of God, that's a big deal. And, you know, but then this is just, you know, your footnotes. Like in one of them, he says, bring my other papers, including my parchments. And one, he's like, bring my coat because it's cold, you know. And you can, we can just, nah, we don't need that part. But I think it's a good thing to remind us, just like Corrie Ten Boom and her sister, and her whole family. These are just normal people. And Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, is just a normal guy. Just like us. He's just living out the faith that, that Jesus has put in him. And he's asking for prayer. He's like, pray for me. And I'm gonna, and he's going to tell you how I'm doing and all these things that, you know, he needed prayer. He needed encouragement in the same way that we do. And so it's okay to admit that. You know, And I think you can even see that. But I I think at the end, I want to pray this really quick. And then I'm going to invite... Every time it's Super Second Sunday, we celebrate communion together as our uh, entry into lunch. And I invited Byron to come up and to serve communion to everyone. And we'll need uh, another two people to help with the other, you know. But I want to pray this. This verse 24 is the last thing. 23 and 24 that God would do this in us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and communion together and have lunch together as we start as we live together, as we do like what our verse says on the wall, loving each other and sh- sharing our lives and the gospel with each other. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Amen. Byron.